singing here. Everybody did such a good job. Do they always sing like this? Brother Bobby, they, 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 y'all have a really good bunch of singers here. You are, very much so. And uh, Connie and I just couldn't be prouder of uh, Andrew and just uh, so happy that he's developed into uh, what I, I'll be honest, I didn't know he was that good of a song leader and uh, just uh, did a real good job. But we're here, of course, to uh, learn some things from God's Word. And I did want to add that contrary to what Brother Medley tried to point out to us a moment ago, instead of being a source of a whole lot of pressure, I am very much aware that our Lord himself was unable to convert his own brothers until uh, such a time as he had risen from the dead. And nobody's going to be resurrected tonight in a literal fashion, so I'm under no illusion whatsoever uh, of any effect that I would have on personal family. However, I do appreciate that they're here, I trust and hope, to hear the truth just like everybody else. And I thank you all so much. Excellent crowd for a Monday night. If you have an opportunity at all, I would like for you to come back and be with us tomorrow evening. Uh, it's a lesson you say, well, I, how are you going to motivate somebody in the right kind of way with that? But it used to be something you hear thematically very often in gospel meetings. And as the subject of hell, I'm going to preach on that tomorrow night in a sermon entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And then on Wednesday night, now if you come here, as, we don't want to take you away from obligations for teaching a class or something, but we're not going to tell on them either, are we, Randy? We're, no, no, so if you want to, that's right, if you want to show up Wednesday night, I'm going to preach on heaven, so that way you get the full balance, okay? So we're going to preach tomorrow night on the judgment of God with respect to the subject of hell, and then Wednesday night, Lord willing, with respect to heaven. Tonight, I want to try in some way to encourage you the most that I can, in every way that I can, to consider your need to be a part of God's church and to be actively working in God's church. I, I'm going to try in every way that I can. I'm going to present to you how that it's God's plan from eternity that you be a part of it. And if there's some example I can give by way of motivation, I want to give that. If there's some scripture you maybe haven't considered before as to the grand plan of God and how much He has put into His church, by the work of Jesus Christ and the forethought all through down the creation and the ages of man and the epochs in which they have lived, everything has gotten it ready so that we can serve God in His kingdom today until the last day. And the Lord has really, really encouraged all of us to be a part of that. And if tonight you are not a Christian, you cannot say if you head out those doors, I am ready. Come Lord Jesus, just like the Apostle John said at the end of the book of Revelation, then I really wish you would consider doing just like I had the privilege of helping a young man to do this morning. I got a phone call last night after we got in. Or we had a message there to call uh, somebody and she got back with us. And a sister out at Mount Gilead said, uh, there's a young man over here, his name's Dustin. And uh, I knew Dustin already and had uh, ministered to him in different ways before. Uh, Dustin wants you to baptize him in the morning. Uh, he's going to be in and uh, we, we, he'd like for you to do that. I'd be more than happy to do that. Dustin has been away on some rehabilitation. He had gotten addicted to uh, pill painkillers, pretty powerful, and it had messed him up. Now, you know how people get started on that. They either suffer an injury, they have some kind of chronic condition or something, and it gets bad, and then they get hooked on them. And uh, the state line area is worse than anything. You can pick up any kind of drug you want. Meth, cocaine, uh, heroin, I think, is around there, and every form of 
just abuse of prescription meds that you could possibly imagine. Dispensed by so-called doctors and things like that. It's just awful around the state line area, even more so per capita than around here. But I know the problem's everywhere. But Dustin had been determined, I am going to get off these. And he had submitted himself to a program where they isolated him. We've gotten him away from the influence of the people that got him back into that lifestyle. And he is determined. He's got him a job now again. And he wants to live right and he wants to live for the Lord. So this morning, I was able to meet him over at the church building. Now, Randy and I together might make part of Dustin. He's a big man. I, he got, I got him down in that water. I took his confession, got him down in there, and I looked at him, and I said, you're a grown man. All right, let's see, let's see how we're going to do this here. And so he had put on about the biggest garment we, we could find over there. And the only reason I tell you all that is because there always has to be something that is a little bit lighthearted about whenever you do something, even if it's very serious, like being baptized into Christ. And so I said my piece, and he was all ready, and he was just uh, you know, ready to obey God. He was just so sincere, you could tell, and just really wanted to do what God wanted him to do. And we started going down in there, and uh, like I said, he is a big man. And so I thought, well, I'm going to need to go a little deeper, and I'm going to need to go a little deeper. And I kept going, and then we come back up. Everything seemed to be fine. I went back in, started to take the waiters off, found out I'd been baptized too. <laughs> And so, hey, another one time can't hurt, can it? So there you go. It, it was such, though, a, a sweet, sweet time to be participating in that and to know that another soul has been added to God. Now, why do I tell you that? The reason I tell you that is because I don't know what sacrifices you made in order to be here tonight. What I can tell you is this. Whatever you did in deciding to come and be a part of the worship here tonight, not only was it worth it, but also, you think about all those people across the world, and they may have to meet in clandestine places, like in basements and such as that over in China. And you may have a situation where that lady wants to be baptized by one of our missionaries over in India, but she says, I know when I go home, my husband's going to beat me for it. And all of these situations that arise, and you think, how easy we have it here. Most of our battles, though, that we have here that keep us from coming to the Lord are battles with ourselves. Dustin had to have that fight with himself, didn't he? And the devil personally. He will not rule my life. I will not be addicted to sin. I cannot do this myself. I need the help of God. I need His Spirit. And I must have it if I am to overcome my demons. Help me to become a Christian. And that's exactly what we tried to do. And that's what we did. And he was added unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Every case, every person that makes a sacrifice in their life, every person who says, I don't care if it means living in chronic pain, I don't care if it means facing my worries and my addictions, I will come to grips with it because my soul is worth more. Every one of those souls is precious in God's eyes. And every one of them has made a sacrifice which is worthwhile. It's worthwhile because God has put them. And I told him this, I said, Dustin, nobody needs to vote on you. Nobody needs to act as if, well, are you acceptable or not? I said, God has added you to his family. You're in his kingdom and you can rejoice in that. And we want to work with you in order for you to serve the Lord. So we want everybody to see God has planned for you to be a part of this. God tells you that you can do exactly what Dustin did this morning and what all of those who are brothers and sisters in Christ have done here in this assembly. How do I know that God wants you to be a part of this church? 
Not just Pippin, but I mean the church, the church of our Lord, wherever it is that you live and whatever it is that you do, whether male or female, young or old, God really has designed and makes you a part of this if you will just come to Him. I know He wants that so bad. Number one, because God has put every other institution in subservience to and made it as an illustration of the ultimate relationship with Him, which is His church, His family. Now, let me show you that. I was talking to some of you in Bible study Sunday morning at Pippin here about this. The state. We were discussing that somewhat. What is the government? You say, well, the government goes back a long ways. People started populating the earth and you have to have civil government in order to keep order and such as that. I know that. That's great. God says the powers that be are ordained by Him, right? Romans 13, brethren, isn't that right? You know that's right. It is a great thing that we have government. Who wants anarchy? That'd be awful. However... Government is simply illustrative of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all it is. You don't understand authority. You don't understand living under it unless you have God come along and say, I'm going to create the government, but I ultimately have a higher authority. I ultimately have a different kind of nation in mind. I'm going to make you citizens and part of a kingdom which is much greater than that. My proof, Daniel 2 verse 44 where it clearly says unto us that in the days of these kings that the Lord God Himself would set up a kingdom and that it would crush, y'all got that? That it would consume all these other nations or kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Now that doesn't mean that God wants to destroy civil government. It simply means that civil government is not His ultimate aim. It simply lets us know about and appreciate that we have the King of kings and Lord of lords, the King Jesus the Christ. Now the family is the same way. I don't want to downplay families. We love them. God made the family. It's the first one of those institutions. We were discussing that on Sunday morning in Sunday school. I kind of said, well... How do you have the first family formed? It was pretty much uh, Adam, Eve, Eve, Adam. You don't have any choice. There you go. <laughs> and so that was it. And so you got the first family. Families ever since have had an investment in God's time and in His efforts to instruct in the Bible as to how they're supposed to behave. All over the law of Moses, all in and throughout the New Testament. Nevertheless, God clearly says to us that the family itself is not God's ultimate aim. Think about it for just a moment. The human family relationship is great. God made it, created marriage himself, 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 3. God wants people to have good and stable families of whatever size, whether it be 1 or 11. Nevertheless, God says clearly in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. Now, you can check this in your Bibles tonight if you'd like. Y'all are kind of looking at me. You can check it if you want, but uh, if, if you trust me that much, well, okay, but I'd, I'd be checking it out. Ephesians chapter 5, if you look there in verse 21, he introduces the concept of people living under authority. And he doesn't mean here to take turns in authority when he says submitting one to another. That's not the idea. You don't take your turns submitting with your child, do you? No. And you don't take turns when you go to work and the boss says, all right, well, today you're the boss. And so, you know, you just uh, run the company and do whatever you want. No, no, every day you show up and he's still the boss or the owner, whatever the case is. So that's not what it means. It doesn't mean take turns with submitting an authority like that. It means each relationship needs to understand how to do that. So, for example, the wife is to see that she reverences her husband. Later on it says that the child is to see that they honor mother and father. And then after that it is the servant to see that they honor their master. But 
If you look back in Ephesians 5, you take that big section and preachers preach on it from verse 22 down through the end of the chapter and they say, oh, there's lots of good stuff about the family in there. Look how it talks about husbands should give themselves for their wives and a man should so love his wife even as himself. It's beautiful, isn't it? That's great. We know that that's true. But down in verse 32 of Ephesians 5, that is where he clearly shows, I'm not talking though about the family itself. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. I speak concerning Christ and the church. Why does the husband so love his, his wife as himself? God says, I want to show you in a physical family what love is. If I say to you that I love the world so much that I gave my only begotten son, John 3, 16, we all know it, we love that passage of scripture, very beautiful. If I say I did that, how do you appreciate how much love that is? You only know it by looking around at those that you live with and those that you love more than anybody else. And if I give you that family relationship on this earth, then maybe you'll understand how much I've put into your salvation for me to send my own son in order to tell you, be a part of my family now. Love me. I love you even as myself. I give myself. You can't bear the pain of sin. You don't want to bear the brunt of the punishment of sin. My son will bear it on the cross. I will feel the pain and I will give everything so that you might be saved. You don't understand that without family, but with family you understand in Jesus Christ I can be added to a bigger family, the family of God couple of incidents I want to talk to you about and then we'll go back and see how God has planned this in the Old Testament. There was a man a while back, uh, not too long ago, not too many years, uh, up uh, around the state line over in the nursing home and Danny was talking to me. I've never had a man do that with me before but I've baptized people in the hospital like in the big whirlpools, things like that but Danny was talking to me and it really lit a fire under me because I've never had a man do that with me. He had heard preaching when he was younger and he had not obeyed the Lord. He feels the weakness in his body. He fears that I won't get another chance. I won't be able to come on with this. Evidently, he had a couple of strikes against him. He had a bad phobia of water. Any of you preachers here ever to baptize somebody that had a bad phobia of water? It gets pretty bad. One time I almost had to duck a swing after the guy come up. And it wasn't that he was mad at me. He was happy about being baptized, but he, he had a bad phobia of water. It, it just really shook him up. But he was willing to do it in order to be added to God's kingdom. Danny was talking to me, and also he had special attachments on him physically that had to be looked after and taken care of. And I had to talk to the doctor and all kinds of people. We had to work on that. But as Danny was talking to me, he begged me. I've never had a man, a grown man, man had worked with heavy equipment in his life, had done all kinds of things that had made him a rough and tumble character, you know, and stuff, a real man's man. Enjoyed going out fishing and hunting, I guess, and everything. And he just, it, but he humbled himself so much. And when I was in there standing over him and him sick in that hospital bed, and he said unto me, you have got to help me. Please, he said, I'm begging you. You've got to help me become a Christian. You've got to help me get all right, Danny, I'll do whatever I can. I'll do what I can. We've got to get this done. And so we looked around, and we finally figured out a way to get it done. And he was so happy to be able to take in, in that lift 
and for him to be lowered down into that whirlpool and for me to work with the others there to make sure we were able to baptize him into Jesus Christ. He was able to get out of the hospital for a while after that. He was able to go to his Lord sometime after that in peace, knowing that God had been merciful unto his soul. How many people here still in the prime of your life or at least still with the ability to be mobile have spent all kinds of time listening to the truth of God and have not yet submitted unto the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those people look back on their lives and they could have had it so much easier. They could have done so much more for God. And with deep regret, they then finally have all of their pride come crashing down and they humble themselves and say, Lord, before it's too late, please save me, just like the worker at the 11th hour. I want to come to you. I want to do what's right. But God says, I've got a big work now in the kingdom and I want people that are able to go out and do things for me right now to serve me. If those people God was merciful with and they came to the Lord Jesus Christ and God gave them, thankfully, the time in which to do so, you have to ask yourself how many others out there went ahead and passed on in this life without the time, without the consideration on their part, without the opportunity of hearing the truth and of coming to Jesus. And they have passed on without obedience unto God. You don't want to be like that and you don't want to remain stubborn against the Lord. You want to give up your pride. You want to give up all the things that have made you in the past or where you thought, well, maybe not now. Or maybe I'll just grip the pew in front of me and the feeling will go away. We don't want it to go away. We want the sense of urgency to be there because God planned from eternity for you to be here tonight and for you to hear this gospel message and you to come to Jesus. My proof, God had always planned it this way. Isaiah chapter 2. If you go down there in verse 2 of Isaiah 2, the Bible says that it shall come to pass in the last days. Now, the last days here are descriptive of really even what we're able to live in now because you're in the Christian era. God was getting rid of the old ways of Moses and he was ushering in what we've got. He destroyed the old way and now we all can serve God and wait upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when he introduces it there to us in Isaiah chapter 2, it shall come to pass in the last days. I don't want you to think, oh, well, he's talking about some brief period of time over there. It's the very same gospel. And as I showed you all earlier in the week, if you do what they did, you'll get what they got, salvation from your sins. We are still in the last period of God's dispensation from man. Nobody else is going to come later on, offer you a different plan of salvation. This is it. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many shall go and say in that day, Come ye, let us go up unto the mountain of the Lord. He will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the law of the Lord will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Think about how glorious it was for that gospel to begin. Just like God said it would there in Jerusalem and start spreading all throughout the earth. Think about how wonderful it was for all nations to be able to hear that. And remember where it says there in that passage, if you're looking at it, all nations shall flow unto it. Jew and Gentile, everybody able to come to God. And God had planned it that way. This is my kingdom, he points out. This is my family. The world will do what it wants to do. Let them have war. Let them have their petty blasphemies and their jealousies and their addictions to various sins. My family shall be in peace, he says. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. God says, in my family, among my people, there shall be peace. 
peace with me, peace with one another, peace within themselves. Let everyone consider that God planned many hundreds of years through Isaiah, his family, and the addition to his family's kingdom on this earth, his church. Not only did God plan the organization, he planned the name of it. Isaiah chapter 62 shows us that a little bit later on in the same book. He says in Isaiah 62 verses 1 and 2, For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burns. God pointed out, I'm going to give him a name. The Gentiles shall see thy righteousness. All kings, your glory. And you shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. God has named it, ladies and gentlemen. God called it Christian. He's named it for you and for me. And he said, you can be a part of it. You can be a part of it today, right now. What God had planned hundreds of years back. God said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it happen. He did. And that organization has a job for you inside of it. It is so important that God proclaims the unity of the church along with his own unity. Now this one's real easy. This next point, super easy, and it's from Ephesians chapter 4. How many Jesuses are there? One, right? Y'all with me on that? Yeah. How many Holy Spirits are there? One. How many fathers are there? One. Okay, we, we got that idea, don't we? One, one. Well, look here. Ephesians 4. Y'all see it right there. It's in black and white. I therefore, Paul says, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness and longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now let's stop there at the third verse for a moment. God is not telling you the Holy Spirit needs help hanging it together. <laughs> the Holy Spirit does what, you know, the Spirit of God is fine. He's, he's all right. We, he doesn't need any help. The keeping of the unity of the Spirit must mean us keeping the instructions of God's Holy Spirit. It must mean us conforming our lives to be a proper habitation of the Spirit of God. That's such a powerful concept that it almost destroyed David's life. In Psalm chapter 51, he cried out unto God after he had turned from the right way and after he had committed immoral acts and even murder itself. And he cried out unto God and he said, Don't take your spirit from me. It was his aim in life to make sure that God found fellowship and a home with him in his soul. And without that, he knew he was totally undone. Keep the unity of the Spirit. Follow after the instructions that the Holy Spirit gives you in the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then he says, how do we do that? Well, he's going to describe the seven unities to us then, beginning in verse 4. There is one body. That's the first one he gives, isn't it? There is one body and one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in you all. The first one he gives is there's one body. And have no doubt about it, that body is the church. It's the church at Pippin. It's God's people wherever they may be found upon the face of this earth. And there is one of them. That means all denominationalism is false. It means it's a false doctrine to push that God has multiple families. There is one church. There is one body. Ephesians 1 verses 22 and 23 gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body. 
He has the preeminence as the head over his body, the church. Colossians 1 verse 18. There is no doubt about it. There is one church. And therefore, if you really think it's that important, you will not be satisfied, but you will find that one family of God that God will add you to. And you'll work for Him in that family the rest of your life, wherever you go, and with full conviction that if you stay faithful unto God, then He will own up unto you as a child, a faithful child, on that great day. I don't know exactly how to get people to see the great importance of that. I've thought about it. You, you consider a lesson like this. I can find the Old Testament prophecies. We've already seen some of them. I can find examples of people. We've already looked at a couple of those and we'll look at another. And sometimes I wonder exactly how can we illustrate it in order to show you that God has such an important work for you and that everything kind of depends on you providing your part. And if you don't provide your part, think about how many things can be left undone. Connie and I, and I were talking about a man who's a preacher, uh, Willie Bryson. Uh, Brother Hicks wrote a uh, biography of Willie Bryson one time. And uh, old Brother Willie, he was a man that had some physical challenges. He did not have an arm here, and he had a little hand that came out from his shoulder, and he had another arm that ended at his elbow, and he had a hand there at the end of that elbow, and he had some other physical problems as well. But Brother Bryson fulfilled a vital role in the kingdom of God. He did whatever it is that he could do, even though he didn't have a complete body. You think about how much more he could have done if he could have lived a full life with a whole body that stayed healthy. The Lord God tells us, I want you to be whole. I want you to be healthy. The church at Pippin, the church wherever you are, where at Mount Gilead we are. God says, I want you to be able and I want you to go out here and function for me. And he illustrated it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go down a little bit further in Ephesians 4, this time in verse 16. We are not a physical body. Nevertheless, we're pictured as a body for illustrative purposes in the Bible. From whom the whole body, he's talking about the church here, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effectual working in the measure of every part not just, well, uh, this one over here doesn't amount to much or that one over... No, no, every part does its job, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. What a mouthful of a verse. Basically, it's just this. If you think of yourself as having a body that is rather decrepit and difficult to manage, you think of what it's like when God looks upon His body, His church, and you've got all the various members, but they're not following directions. They won't do what he says for it to do. Now, one of the things I take great pride in is, for example, Sunday. Y'all really put on a spread. But I didn't even have to think about it. When I had that fork in my hand, it was just like an automatic thing. I was like a machine, man. I was just, you know, just scooping it in. But I didn't even have to consider. Now, this and my mouth's going to fly open. And then whatever's on that fork's going to come up here. And I didn't think about it. I'm just doing it through long practice. You know, I'm just... It's, it's coming in there. Now, if that is true, then you think about when you can't take that for granted. Somebody's got a job to do in the church, and God says, go do it, and you're not doing it. Now, I'm not trying to be ugly or mean to anybody, but I do this every now and then. I wasn't picking on you all at Pippin. And you all may have a perfectly good explanation 
And I, you don't have to explain to me. I don't have to hear anything about this. All I know is I like to do this. I got a hold of some of the neat advertisement that y'all had done on your web page and from the newspaper and everything, and I put together my own little flyer. I should have sent to Randy for a handbill, you know, so I could give it out uh, without doing that. But I just put together a little thing that would give the times on it and such, and I copied a few of them off. And so as I was over here making sure I knew the exact location of the building and such, we were here Saturday before the meeting started, and we're kind of rooting around in the community. I stopped at a few houses. And so I'd come up, you know, and see the person out there in the yard or knock on the door or something, and the person come uh, talk to me. And everybody I talked to was nice enough, but not a single one of them knew that there was a gospel meeting going on. Now, it's not that you all didn't advertise. And it could be that you've already looked in to those places and already tried to work with those people. I will admit, one place I went to said they had family that used to be a part of the church here or if the church had tried to minister to them. They did admit to that, which was to your credit. However, it is something where we need to make absolutely sure because we have places right around Mount Gilead and I know some of those places are bad soil. I can spend my time better visiting somebody else a little further out from the building. Y'all know what I mean, don't you? You know what I'm talking about. But if you have not discounted that you live right in the middle of a big old suburb. This place is just one big sprawling spillover from Cookville. I mean, that's from what I can tell. That's basically what it's become. It's got houses all over the place, and some of them are real nice, and it's got people also that are living in some trailers, but they're nice enough, and it's got some people that are living in, you know, big family units, like I said, and some maybe all by themselves, but you got all kinds here. Surely there is the diamond in the rough somewhere in there. There is that needle in the haystack. You've got to be finding that. You need to reach out. Gospel meeting is the time to do that. And I'm not saying you didn't. I'm saying what I observed, okay? And so make your very best effort. If somebody has not prepared themselves for the judgment of God, they need to be here tomorrow night. Maybe they don't realize the reality of hell and they need to understand the judgment of God coming upon them. The Bible says in Jude that we ought to convince some people with fear. Some others you're very tender with and some you just kind of uh, take a different tact with them. But some you hate even the garment spotted. You want to pluck them out of the fire. The way you're headed is headed to perdition and you've got to get out of that. You need to get out of it right now. And it could be that some soul that maybe has heard the gospel like those I've told you about before when they were younger were stubborn and wouldn't come unto the Lord Jesus. Don't discount them. Maybe you haven't visited with them in a while because they didn't show that they were promising prospects for the church. Why not go back and try it again? Why not try to get them to come here and add to this excellent crowd that we have tonight? Now, I said that as a matter of practicality for a moment, but let me go back to a part of principle. The body, whatever joint supplies, whatever part ought to be doing, Ephesians 4, verse 16. Everybody has a part to play in the church. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you do, what you think you're good at, or what other people perceive that you are good at. Everybody has something that they can do. And the something is not maybe something that is... Um, well, something that you think you ought to be doing. Some people don't like to be doing what they're good at because it doesn't have a lot of limelight to it. Let's say in the physical body that the foot gets tired of being the foot. I enjoy the fact that I have feet. But let's say that my foot decides I don't like it down here. You always cover me up. You don't give me as much attention to detail or wash me as often as you do the hand. 
I don't have the same visibility. I don't get those nice little pedicures. I don't even get chewed on like the nails up here, you know. I don't get no tension at all. It gets hot down here. I'm bearing a lot of weight. It's awful. It even stinks. I want to be up there where the hand is. All right, you say, foot, why don't you come up here where the hand is? So you take your foot, you put it up there where the hand is, you put the hand down there where the foot is. Well, guess what? The hand can't bear the weight, can it? It can't do that job. You know what a foot does. You may be the person who is in the background, who is the backbone of your family, the one that is encouraging them, holding them together, getting them to come to church, getting them to live better for the Lord. You may be the one that is doing what God wants to be done. It's just that nobody else knows about it. God sees it. He'll pat you on the back at the appropriate time. Don't try to be something that you're not. Complete your ministry and do good at whatever you're best at in God's kingdom. Identify the gift of God and work it out in your life. And if you don't do that, my friend, then woe unto you on the day of judgment because God says the judgment begins first at the house of God. He's looking for you to fulfill the job as that, as that member, that part of the body. He says, go out there and do it. Whatever it is that you are good at, find your ministry and excel at it. And if every person will do that, there'll be enough preachers. There'll be enough Bible class teachers. There'll be enough encouragers. There'll be enough people giving because they know how to do that very well and they have the green thumb for money, you might say. There'll be enough people doing the behind-the-work stuff that makes it to where, for example, when you call for a potluck, I don't know how it magically works, but they all seem to work, don't they? They always work out. You always have plenty for everybody. You'll always have somebody fulfilling their role in the church and doing a good job of it. But we need you to be a part of that. We need your help, your input. Something is vitally missing, and that is your work for the Lord if you aren't faithful unto Jesus Christ. Your contribution to the work of God if you haven't yet named Jesus Christ as your Lord and been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You need to come and be a part of this work. The Pippin Church needs you in the work. God is ready to receive you. Nothing should hold you back from that. Last week, just a few days ago, there was something that did make me nervous, Brother Medley. <laughs> it, was a, it was a kind of an uh, interesting situation to say the least. And I'd been in this kind of thing before. There was a man that I got a note for over at the nursing home. They said, I want you to come and uh, see him. He's asking for a preacher in the Church of Christ. Okay, I'll go visit him. So I went over there and I talked to the man. And we kind of hem-hawed around for a little while about some things. And he already had in mind that he wanted to change his life around. And not only that, uh, his mind was working perfectly. He was already talking about things he could do to help us. I mentioned we had a church camp coming up in the summer. He, he's already donated stuff for that and everything. He's, he's just all about it. Mr. David, David was his name. He had a problem. David's problem was is he's a complete quadriplegic. When I went in to see him, I didn't understand. And so you know how you go in, you stick your hand out to shake somebody's hand, Randy, and I, I felt so embarrassed because he couldn't do anything. He can't even get himself a drink of water. He just kind of did like that, you know, with one of his arms. And then I understood. I, I grabbed his leg at one point. I said, do you even feel that? He said, I don't even feel it. He had suffered a massive stroke-like condition. And if it were not for his family knowing CPR, then he would have probably passed from this life. But God had been merciful to him. 
It had not affected his brain. It had not affected his speech. He could speak fine. He knew exactly what he was doing. He could tell me the moment that the lights went out. And that was about three or four years ago. And they'd been doing therapy on him and everything, and they finally settled him in Tompkinsville in the nursing home. Well, what is it that you're wanting then? Because he told me, he said, you know, helping out with these other things is not really what I'm after. He said, when I was younger, I heard the preaching. And I was about to obey the gospel. And then, well, I, I didn't. I just didn't. And I talked to him about the situation, and it was rough. What are we going to do? This man had spent three or four years and his mind worked fine and his mouth worked fine. So guess what he had been doing? Eating. And he had gained a lot of weight. He probably ran about 250, 260. What are we going to do? We can't fit him. He has no control over himself. He has to be put in that lift. How are we going to work it out? He was insistent. Let's do this. Let's do it. And certainly I was right there for him. All right, let's do this. Let's try to get it done. He had about 20 members of his family to come and encourage us on the day that it happened. We had the administrator of the nursing home facility took a whole afternoon out of her job to work with it personally, took her shoes off and was working there with a big pool that we had set up in the commons in the grounds area there in the middle of the nursing home, had the maintenance man going back and forth every time we ran into a problem. The lift can't swing over there. We've got to put a pallet under the pool. Empty the water again. It took a long time to fill that pool back up. All right, let's put it back in there again. I'm trying to haul in warm water in so it's not so shocking to him back over into the pool. They're uh, trying to buttress stuff up, you know, and, and put two-befores under it and everything, make it where the lift can fit in. Family's gathering around. Everybody's getting all excited. We brought him in there. I got so frustrated. We got him right there over the pool. They lowered him down on it. All kinds of people pulling on that pool, getting him set and everything. We got him down in there. Got people over here holding his knees under and everything. That pallet they put under there to get the lift, you know, where you lift a patient up and put them on, that pallet, it, he was going down and hitting that pallet. We got him baptized. He's a big man. We can't, can't get him under. What are we going to do? I got so frustrated. I told the people. I just came out and said it. In my, I said what was on my mind. I said the devil's trying everything he can to keep us from baptizing this man. We'd been going at it a while by then. Oh, folks, by the way, when he hit that water, <laughs> it's like, David, watch your language. Yeah, he went, oh. It was cold. I tried to warm it up, but they don't allow very hot water at the nursing home. You try to heat up five or 600 gallons of water, right? All right, anyway, so we got him down there. We're trying to get him baptized. And then the maintenance man says, what if we get on the other end of the pool over here and we just shove that water over? We just, you know, tilt the whole pool, shove it over there on to him. And so I've already got one of the members at Mount Gilead, and he's down there, he's pushing, he said, it's... Easier to say than do it. You try to push all those hundreds of gallons of water. But then everybody's in on it. I'm in the pool. I'm right there at his head. I'm ready to dip his head in and everything. Sure enough, all those people shoving on that and the water displaced. And it went right over him. And I said, here we go then. I said, the only thing you're going to hear from me when we get in there is hold your breath. Hold your breath. <laughs> and there we went. After that was done, you ought to have heard people. Oh, this is the relief that came over us. The man may live for many years 
as a quadriplegic. But I went back to his room. I said, David, God hasn't promised. He's not going to give you your legs back. He hasn't said that. David said, I know. But I said, David, forget walking. You need to think flying. You need to think about all that God is opening up for you and how that he is going to bless you because you were determined that you weren't going to let your life close without obeying the gospel. If all those people were so nice and so determined to work with and to help to make sure that one soul was added to God, you think about the prayers that have gone up to the Lord Jesus Christ for you to be here with us tonight and for everything to be prepared for you. We're in a modern building. We've got a baptistry right there. All these people are thinking about you. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, then now is the time. It's a perfect opportunity. If you haven't been serving God in His kingdom like you know you should, do you not know the great joy of salvation you would have if you could be a part of something like I just described? If you could influence a soul for Jesus Christ, somebody in your family, somebody in the community? What are you waiting on to do what God wants you to do in His kingdom? It is the perfect time to be born again or to set your life right with God. This is your opportunity. There's no reason to let it go one more night. You don't have to wait and say, well, maybe later on in the gospel meeting, this is the time. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. You're going to walk out those doors and say all those people that took so many pains and made so much sacrifice to get right with God, well, with me it's nothing. I'll get to it whenever I get to it. No, it's urgent. You need to do it now. God hasn't promised you one more day, but he has given you right now. Won't you please consider becoming a Christian tonight? Won't you prepare yourself for the work that God has given you in his kingdom? And won't you come as we stand and sing?